Aloha and welcome to the one within all. Interversal amigos, we've all heard that meditation is a key part of a balanced mental diet. And it's often been said that the single most important practice one can use to accelerate their enlightenment is meditation. Even with the mindfulness fad of the last decade, many of us still have yet to fully integrate meditation into our daily lives and instead simply reach for it as a crutch in times where extreme stress is impacting our ability to function. And while some adamantly demand that it's a waste of time and space to simply sit and breathe for a few minutes a day, there are mountains of concrete scientific evidences to prove that one's thoughts really do change their brain and with it their body and the quality of life itself. But knowing all this, there's still the part of us that resists, that begs to quench our spiritual thirst with addictions instead of self-knowledge. Yes, it seems the deviousness of the ego is as boundless as one's own desire for ignorance, and it's never too hard to come up with negative mantras that excuse our dismal displays of discipline. But that's where Ethan Indigo Smith comes in. Our guest today making his debut appearance on Interverse to share his knowledge gained through a career as a prolific writer on spiritual subjects. I've just read his book, The Geometry of Energy, which I can highly recommend. And to name just a few of the many other works he's produced, you can check out The Matrix of Four, 108 Steps to Be in the Zone, and The Little Green Book of Revolution, all of which will be linked in the show notes. So let's buckle up and lock our intentions in on expanding our imaginary abilities to include more of our inner selves and start practicing that Tai Chi notion that if you cannot feel your energy, simply imagine it. And eventually you won't be able to not feel it. With all that being said, this is the perfect moment for you out there listening to put that into practice right now and summon all the imaginary love energy from deep within your core that you can project it through the ether of time and space straight towards the heart chakra of my excellent new friend, Ethan Indigo Smith. Ethan, my dude, welcome to Interverse. Thank you so much, Chance. That was beautifully put. In practicing Tai Chi, one of my Tai Chi teachers told me that sentiment. Um, if you cannot feel the chi, just imagine it, and soon enough, you will not be able to unimagine it. This is so true for so many uh, situations and meditation itself, but it also is proved in the idea of placebos, right? The whole medicine industry has to design itself around the power of our consciousness, and that is the placebo effect, right? Our consciousness is so powerful that if we just get a little prick, little sugar pill, we will think that the healing activity has begun and that is enough for it to begin, right? So um, the power of our consciousness and our awareness and our imagination slash attention is kind of developed on through meditation. And it seems like a lot of hocus pocus. And one way to consider it is that meditation is seemed to be or presented as a complex practice, but it is actually the most simple practice that enables one to practice complexity with ease. <laughs> that is the beautiful paradox of all things that are true, right? It's right. simple yet infinitely complex. It's a single point, but it contains all other points. And right. with the placebo effect, I just love that term because whenever materialistic science has something that they have no idea what it is, 
they just label it with an effect and they say, that's the placebo effect. And then they act like that's good enough and they move on and they'll reference it whenever it comes up, but they never explained it. And with consciousness affecting the body or imagination slash attention, I like how you said imagination slash attention because I personally see them as definitely two sides of the same sensory apparatus. It's been even proven with materialistic science that people with a meditation habit actually alter and impact the structure of their physical brains and have more dense gray matter. And, and quantum physics experiments, I mean, this is, this is getting on a different tangent, but quantum physics points to the fact that our consciousness and actually just our observation without intention, just, just by observing, we change the pattern of light particles. And so if our consciousness can impact light particles, which are the most ethereal type of thing that we encounter, what else can our consciousness impact, right? That is less, less ethereal, maybe, right? And, and what can we do if we just have a little bit of intention rather than mere observation? The greatest spiritual maxim, or one of the greatest spiritual maxims that I ever came across is simply energy flows where attention is directed. So whenever you redirect your thinking inward or your attention inward towards yourself, as through meditation, it allows for energy to flow into yourself. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah, and how I actually conceptualize this idea is by believing in humanity as a unified, trying to, trying to get past all these separations, where it's cultural or, or national or, and so forth. This is a phenomena that goes on even in esoteric traditions. Well, that's Chinese, so that's different. Or that's Indian, well, that's Tibetan, so they had the... Well, you know, especially those three cultures actually used to come together and share their qigong and their yoga and their martial arts and their meditations, right? So, and, and we see this in, in Taoist traditions, particularly where there's a lot of yoga influence, Hindu influence. The four dimensions of geometry provide a window to see the, at their most basic, but as you said, in that basic, there's an infinite sea of complexity. At their basic core, there are fundamentals that unify all these through mathematics, which is, uh, again, to universalize things, use a universal, right? I found that the integration of ideas is not so far-fetched and actually is something that we should look for in these traditions. And uh, with that, the real powerful aspect of all these traditions is individuation. And I'm so glad the way you presented your experience with the book, there are certain elements that are universal that can be used to come up with your own empowering devices and tools. Some of them may be unchanged, and the same type of tools, they haven't changed much, but some you individualize and you maybe make your own. That's what meditation is about, is about making you your own, right? Because especially today, but actually, um, 
it wasn't Lao Tzu, but uh, um, another Chinese philosopher said, if you want to live a long life, move away from cities. And this was, you know, hundreds of years ago where he gave this advice. Now, imagine the complexity of our cities today. And maybe complexity isn't the right word, but the, the social stickiness that goes on in cities that distracts us from being us, right? The more you can be you, the more you can even extend your and prolong your health and longevity and individuate yourself in the best capacity. And the other thing about individuation is it's not just about making yourself, although that's an important aspect of it. So being your own creator and recognizing your own connection to the force of creation within all things, but also in recognizing that you're no longer separate from it, you're no longer divided from it. And if you are no longer separate or divided from your source, and the source is also the source for everything else, then you're no longer separate or divided from anything that emanates from source. So individuation is also a way of saying you can't be divided in divisible individuation. It's a similar root. And so by being completely whole uh, within, which is a process that we're constantly moving through and towards and not ever really in a completion state, that's the path towards enlightenment, if you will. Like you were saying, it's you create your own practice, but even if you don't have a practice, if it all sounds a little bit unfamiliar to you, what we're talking about here, it is really easy to get started on a personal practice. And even if you don't have a lot of uh, knowledge to conceptualize different types of imaginings during your meditations, and that's not even really what it's all about either. You're not supposed to just sit there actively imagining necessarily either. <laughs> I like one of the things I got from the book that was really useful was uh, meditation from, I believe, a meditation that Buddha presented where it involves thinking and reflecting deeply and completely on how you actually feel about a thought as it comes up and then moving on to pure stillness and pure uh, quietness of thought. And you applied that to the, the four aspects of geometry in meditation and how you can, in meditation, ponder the meanings of the point, the line, the plane, and the solid in rhythm, take time with stillness between each. And although I haven't actually put that exact meditation technique into practice or my own variation of it, well, I have done my own variations of that, actually. That's kind of a natural thing, a natural rhythm to meditation is that you'll You'll find your center stillness, and then something that you didn't even know was swirling around in your head will come rushing in, and you'll have really deep viewpoint on this part of your life, and you're seeing it from a bunch of multifaceted new angles, and then you realize, oh, I'm really caught up in thinking about this, and you let it go, and it totally transforms. It's like closing a bunch of extra browsers on your internet that are slowing down your computer and you didn't even know you left them open. They're behind other things, you know? You nailed it. That, that meditation concept from basically uh, Buddhist principles uh, or that meditation practice rather from Buddhist principles, I find is so, uh, such a clearing device. And, and just like your experience with it and, and what I've, uh, uh, the feedback I've gotten from others is that it is such a great thinking process to, like you suggested, 
clear the extra browsers. I find stress can sometimes be experienced like static. And it's like many points that are agitated and moving, but going nowhere. And so when you can clear that, it, it becomes a priceless phenomena. There's all sorts of ways to develop one's thinking and to actually really what that is, is to trick the trickster into being useful for you instead of detrimental for you. There's an expression, go with the flow. It seems like a good idea, but actually you want to flow with the flow, right? And so when there's a different type of current, you don't want to go with the flow because that implies that you're working for it, right? Just let it, let it swirl, let go flow with the flow. You don't have to actually always be going. You can just flow. There's in some ways, the spiritual path is like swimming upstream too, because there's a lot of momentum to come coming at you to just let yourself fall and sink further into physicality and material, you know, material existence. Right. That's why uh, Lao, Tzu, Lao Tzu, or I, I forget if it's not, it's not Lao Tzu, but it might be Lao Tzu that said, don't go into cities if you want to live a long life, because there are all these materialistic social you know, influences that are rolling downstream on you, right? And energetic too. I, I, yeah, psychic, energetic, absolutely. To that point, I believe Confucius said, it is not laws that rule the world. Signs and symbols rule the world. Something like that. But signs and symbols rule the world. And how is that so? Well, take a look around at how media influences consciousness, right? It is a, a great steering of our social direction and activity. And so it's not laws first and foremost, but signs and symbols. A neat meditation trick or tool that only took me 40 years to come up with is, and it's so simple, and it's something that is utilizing a social impact that if we've been mediated in this culture can resonate with and utilize via that resonation. In all types of big Hollywood blockbusters, when there's a, this you know, supreme or really a high bad entity and they attack it with their strong weapon, a, a nuke or whatever, and they're surprised the, the evil entity gets stronger. Right? This is like a common theme in a lot of thrillers and so forth. Well, that may be true in some cases in the real world, but certainly in the real world, if you flip that idea, when you are in goodness and you feel like people are trying to pull you down or snipe you or whatever, and it, it often can cause that feeling of ascension or goodness quality to sink because they are attacking you. But if you use those attacks, and, it, and all it takes is a decision. It's not an esoteric device. It's simply a decision to say, no, their attacks are making me stronger. And smile through it, and it, it, you become like a Buddha 
in that sense where people hitting you over the head with a stick is enjoyable. It empowers you. <laughs> I totally agree with that. It, it shows you, like, even if you do start to have a reaction to it that is uh, hostile or in some way, you know, forgetting your center, you know, you're not still within yourself. If you do, then use your awareness and notice, oh, hey, I'm about to fly off the handle. And instead, you choose to feel compassion or love for that other person, or at the very least, choose not to hold on to the anger. It can totally change everything. The more you practice that, that's meditation in motion. You know, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the real thing. It's like the Native American proverb that anger is like hot coals that you're holding in your hands. They'll burn you until you just let go of the coals. It doesn't make it any less of a, you know, a wrong if somebody else is doing something wrong. But there's very few times in life where somebody is doing something so wrong directly to you or around you that you have to do something about it. <laughs> for the most part, it actually feeds them just like the monster in the movie for you to get mad and fight because they, they feed off of that type of negative energy uh, just as much as you yourself do, you'll realize. And when you're paying attention, you'll realize, oh, this is something I get mad so that I can feel like I'm in control of this situation or whatever the case may be for you. It's only you can know why you're reacting in a certain way. But bringing that awareness to yourself, that's invaluable. I think that's, the, that's what allows us to actually sort of magically change our lives. Something I've said about artists and creative people in general is that many of them have discovered one of the greatest secrets of life, which is you actually get to choose how you feel. Other people don't make you feel a certain way. You pick. Yeah, that's a compelling truth. And sometimes the stream of consciousness is pushing us one way or another, right? So we have to flow with the flow to not be, you know, dashed upon things and brought into basic emotions that are really harmful to us. And so it can be difficult, but it is really a matter of decision, right? And so, and meditation empowers us to make that decision. And meditation, it's a physical posture, right? It's, a, it's about putting ourselves in a place, in a posture, right? Like every, every uh, meditation practice points to having an upright or, or when you're lying flat, that's different, but a straight back, right? So you don't, you don't slump. That's not the body-mind connection that you're looking for. You're looking for an upright posture that is standing tall or, or when you're sitting is at least erect in the world that you're dealing with. And a yoga teacher of mine, he said, I love it if you can do handstands, just don't be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't matter how well how beautiful your asana is it's about transforming that beauty and that compelling mind state into life right and and otherwise it's a very egoistic practice at best but there's probably no point to it right well one of the things that i took away from geometry of meditation that was extremely compelling as a sort of obvious but not so obvious reason why meditation is actually a balancing tool and technique was the concept of the yantra in yoga which is 
a point that you focus in on visually to retain balance. Am I correct? That's what that is. The yantra is a visual point. Yes. And mostly people refer to mandalas as yantras and a mandala is a yantra. And there are many types of, of yantras. Just like mantra is the audio version of, of the yantra. And that's what I was getting at, that there's a, there's the visual version, so a point you stare at to, retain, to stay in balance when you're on one foot or whatever. And then there's the physical posture that you're talking about, and that's a form of focusing. And then there's a mantra, which is the repetition of a word or a phrase that has energy that you want to focus in on. And then there's actually the focusing in on a point within the self of the meditation. So those are four aspects of the same type of thing. And if you personally have the experience of having been on one foot and trying to balance and realizing or someone telling you, you can stare at one point ahead of you and it will help you balance. Well, you may not have realized that is actually exactly the same concept that's being applied mentally when you're meditating or mentally or spiritually when you're doing a, a mantra. And to take it into life, it's really what we need to do to accomplish anything, right? We first must imagine the point of what we may undertake, the operations we may undertake to complete that end, right? So everything in life can, can really have that mode of operations. I did this in, through my whole 20s. And, and a lot of youngsters will do that. Hey, so what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I don't know. Okay, well, as soon as you know, that's when it'll happen. <laughs> if you live your life saying, I don't know, that's what, like you said, like you have to provide attention for it to manifest. And, and we are a culture of, I don't know, right? Like the United States. I don't have, know and I don't care. Right. I don't know. <laughs> we have no direction. And so, of course, meditation seems completely foreign to us as a collective. If there's any direction, it is to be the most basic operation. Consume, make money, chill, make some money. Yeah, people, and I'm guilty of this too, so I'm not just throwing this out there. People, I, I, people are, uh, but, you know, follow, follow the instructions, follow the rules, follow the set path that's been given to you. And that's the opposite of finding your own path and creating your own path. And that's what the artist rebels against is the, you know, the narrow lines that they have to stay in. They want to color outside the lines. They want to draw their own coloring book, damn it. And that's back to being able, that secret of life that you get to choose how you feel about things. You also, what an artist is actually getting to do is choosing how they live. I mean, it's that simple. You're taking it right. to the next level. It's like, okay, well, I don't want to work in an office anymore. I want to paint pictures of landscapes, but I want them to be the opposite colors of what they should be. And that's just what I want to do. You know, right. that's what it doesn't matter. But the person who's not, who thinks that they're not creative, who has chosen to not be creative, what they've, they've lost choice or they've lost their connection to choice. And that's why when they look at a canvas or they pick up a pencil to draw, they go, I don't know. They don't know what to do. And this, they haven't realized that you just pick something. And if it doesn't work, you pick the best you can. But if it doesn't work, you'll figure that out and you'll learn from that. And if it does work, you'll move on to the next level. But it's just about, it's about making the choice yourself, not about letting the world choose for you or create you, I guess. When uh, 
I came up with the idea for the geometry of energy. I was driving across the country and sharing the other books I've written. And it was in the middle of winter at this point. I did like an eight, eight month book tour, uh, just promoting myself, meeting people and sharing my books. And it was really cold. And so I went to Sedona, Arizona in the winter because it's nice there. And it's the, I joke, it's the metaphysical armpit of the USA. I met a girl that's now one of my best friends. And she started telling me about her meditation. And it struck me that it correlates, her meditation practice correlated with the, geom- uh, the four dimensions of geometry. And I told her this and she kind of went, what? <laughs> and, uh, and the conversation shifted and moved on. One of the other books I wrote is called The Matrix of Four. And I, ha- I have uh, arguably an obsession with four. And this idea, I, I call the artist the righteous rebel. And I correlate that concept with the four wise monkeys. And most people know of the three wise monkeys. See no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil. And actually, none of those are all too wise if you look at them just in pure observation. It's not not wise to not look. It's not wise to not listen. And it's probably sketchy to not speak. Um, Especially with evil, because, I mean, you got to say, hey, that's evil. That's absolutely. Or even if it's something innocent, like I compare just the most basic but important information on the element of fire, right? Like if you don't tell someone what fire is and it's like a little kid, like, hey, that's, that's hot. You don't want to touch that. Really? Oh, yeah, that is hot. They, they, go, they approach it a little slower, right? Of course, they're kids. They don't know anything. But if they're an elitist, they, uh, elitists hold their tongue. They keep information secret and they'll just, I mean, how horrible would it be to not say anything? Hey, that's hot. So, but the fourth wise monkey is fear no evil or do no evil. And he holds his abdominal reason, region or his dantian, which in, in Eastern philosophy and mind uh, state it's where all action originates right so do no evil holds holds his belly and so like there's actually uh, see no evil hear no evil speak no evil and the only one that seems wise at all fear no evil and do no evil so that i point to fear no evil as the righteous rebel and and the artist archetype that kind of gets out of the stream that's pushing all these folks in a you know social psychic steering downhill downstream so to speak and and to that point it's arguable there is at least a subtly nudged covert you know conspiracy to make meditation yoga tai chi minimalized and diminished and looked at as woo-woo. Oh, yeah. And what practices we actually are exposed to largely have been watered down to a great degree. That doesn't mean it's not great to do Western yoga and you can't connect with your own still center point through 
those kind of practices because ultimately people end up making those practices into their own. But it's almost like the superficial facade that's being put up to make them appear as this woo-woo stuff is just to try to almost get people to not practice it at all because it doesn't like, – eventually, even if someone's got a teacher that's bunk, they figure that out. And then they've had enough of the practice, even with a bunk teacher, to know, well, it's worth having this practice, but maybe I should just be my own teacher. There was an experiment with uh, – I forget exactly the, the scientific uh, specifics, but they took two different sets of practitioners, yoga practitioners, and in one class, they – devoted the time to having a good time and laughing and kind of joke telling and being having a fun mindset but joking right and in the other class they internalized everything and made have have the class teacher focus on conceptualizing their bodies and their minds they measured the influence on the brain, how, how much blood flow and so forth. I forget exactly the parameters, but the class that was mindful had much more mental acuteness benefits than the class that was just having fun. Was not to discount just having fun, but no matter what we do, if we are the most simpleton of meditative movement, or even if we don't, Meditate, even if we practice being mindful as we walk, we are all of a sudden increasing our capacity to be mindful, right? To understand our surroundings and, and, and our interior. With walking meditation, as you're describing, that's one of the things that I learned early on in practicing. And it was really important because when I just had meditation of sitting and breathing it was kind of limiting in a sense because you're stuck in that posture you might not be great at that posture uh it might be distracting to be in that posture a little bit until you've spent more time there so with with meditation that a huge key for me was realizing oh i can take this anywhere any pose any posture and so sometimes if i'm not really getting in the zone so to speak when i'm sitting and meditating I will instead uh, lay down or do a walking meditation. And walking is even more mindful in some aspects because you're bringing in a visual component to be mindful of too, all while trying to refrain from reactivity and just practice awareness of yourself instead of uh, you know getting caught in any one thing. I'm, I'm finding more and more that there are uh, classes that are introducing people to uh, walking meditations. And Tai Chi, I, I practice Tai Chi, and it's, I highly recommend it for everyone. And it's a walking meditation itself, right? Uh, yoga is generally a sitting, standing, and lying down meditation series of postures, um, whereas Tai Chi is standing and walking. And actually, there's another conceptualization of four in that there are four postures, variations of postures that one can be in to meditate, standing, sitting, lying down, and walking. You know, Tai Chi has uh, like so many things, so many practices, has the geometry of energy in it very clearly. 
if if one looks at it through the four dimensions of geometry. Um, one of the main conceptualizations in Tai Chi is to imagine our Dantian, our center point, our very cent- core center, and to circulate energy from there and to even move from there. People sometimes ask me, well, you know, really, what is Tai Chi? That's when, that, is that when you do wavy things with your hands? <laughs> and, and yeah, it is that. But every time I move my hands and arms, I'm trying to move from my center point, my Dantian. And the next kind of operation in Tai Chi, there's all these complex movements, but um, we want to connect via an imaginary cord to the North Star or basically our own star or just be upright, right? Have, have our head on top of our neck, on top of our shoulders, on top of our chest, and so on and so on. And also make a connection, uh, linear, almost electrical connection with Mother Earth. And, and, you know, I've been practicing Tai Chi for a long time, so these concepts are familiar to me. But then I saw the movies, uh, uh, the information about grounding and earthing, um, which basically found scientific evidence implying the importance of just connecting with the earth without our rubber-soled shoes and so on. Right. So so again, walking meditation is so important that even just taking off our shoes can have a huge benefit connecting. And and so in the geometry of energy, I point to the four dimensions of geometry, points, lines, planes and solids as representing meditation energies. And the point represents concentration. Right. And the lines represent connection. And that is uh, a main, uh, you know, formation of Tai Chi practice. The next phase is circulation of the Chi, moving stagnant energy from a bruise and or from a social impact, be it whatever. Um, So circulation is uh, critical and and this is what the spheres or or planes represent uh, excuse me circles or planes represent and people who practice tai chi or meditation of any sort you can see a certain twinkle in their eye and it's it's like it's something well how come he's not upset about that or how come he's okay What's what? Why is he a little bit different? And it's or she, and it's because they have this sentiment of what I call um, unity expansion. And you know, tr- practitioners of transcendental meditation will call it something else, and everyone has a different term for it. But it's this feeling of universal connection, of of really empathizing with every being as one with you and the universe, right? And so it, in that sense, maybe meditation removes all these social constructs and clears all these uh, negative attachments and so forth so that we can see 
how closely interconnected we all are. But back to the Tai Chi practice, flowing with the flow is that final aspect, whether it's in stillness or, or moving slow or Tai Chi is a Kung Fu. The form can be done fast as well. But bringing all that into the body and ex, ex, that unity expansion has, and, and even medita- uh, meditation, a uh, walking meditation rather, has this effect um, where you engage and expand what I call uh, perimeter awareness. Right, you start to be a little bit more sensitive to your surroundings, and your sur- sensitivity to surroundings starts to get farther and farther. And it's like that feeling where, for some reason, you looked over your shoulder and you knew person X was there, not by sight, and you knew they were looking right at you. And sure enough, they were zapping you. <laughs> right, and so, and that's that's an example of. This perimeter awareness that is a little bit beyond physical explanation, right? And we've all experienced that zap where we turn and there they are, right? Um, So the four dimensions of geometry, points, lines, planes, and solids, reflect the four dimensions of energy as concentration, connection, circulation, and that feeling um, that quality kind of piercing the veil beyond of, of unity expansion. What you were talking about with Tai Chi, I totally relate to through my own practice of Qigong, which is a uh, part of the same sort of general field of practices. And I learned my own energetic awareness through Qigong as much as through meditation. So it is really important to have more than just sitting in a lotus position, I think, what, whatever form that physical meditation takes for you, just being, connecting with your body more, moving from your center as you're describing it. It reminds me of this quote that you put in the Geometry of Energy from Bruce Lee, which is, the stillness in stillness is not the real stillness. Only when there is stillness in movement does the universal rhythm manifest. I think what you're talking about in flowing with the flow, it's about you're in the flow because you're aware of everything in your surroundings and your environment energetically, more hyper aware, the more that you practice this ability, but then you're not just being aware. And I'm going to quote your book again here. And you say, use your thoughts to address your thoughts and feelings, which are negative. Remember that negative thinking is most always at the root caused by your own negative thinking and that no one can make you feel a certain way. You make you feel the way you do. You are always in control of your feelings, and trying to give that power to others is a lie that we conceal. I think that's the perfect expression of flowing with the, uh, the flow. You're putting your own flow into the flow, and you're making your own choice about how you feel. And to, to add on that, or to build on that, in, in martial arts, there's, you know, karate chops or whatever, right? There's all kinds of stuff. And also yoga, all kinds of stuff. Meditation, so many infinite types of practices. It's, you know, you, uncountable. And the point, though, of all these practices is essentially to become 
while your enemy is chasing you in a burning building. And abstractly, some days less so than others, <laughs> we are all in this situation, right? Where, where things are going on around us that are out of our control. And you never know also who might be your enemy in that burning situation. Often it is your own shadow, <laughs> right? But, but to be calm while facing adversarial opposition in, in, a, in a critical situation, this is what meditation allows us to do, right? And uh, um, flowing with the flow is so important. Uh, it's again, it's kind of subjugated like so many things to, to suggest to someone that taking five minutes to breathe in a certain posture could change their life, <laughs> right? That actually is hard to convince some people. It makes some people mad when you try to tell them this. I think, I think a big reason as to why anyway is because we prefer to pay someone in a nifty white coat who paid someone else in a university a lot of money for a degree to tell us to take this pill or whatever this this curative that'll or or this this pill that's not even a curative it'll it'll re reduce the symptoms right reduce like especially with uh mental and emotional pharmaceutical you know one one thing that is for sure here's here's a simple practice that people can experiment with and they don't even really have to believe that it'll it'll work to do it and it will work again the power of imagination will even override the power of negative thinking and this is a scientific fact but to correlate it with uh qigong qigong is uh, often compromised of still standing meditations, right? And this one is is similar to something called lotus blooms or something. And you can take your hands, you're standing in a comfortable position, take your hands and put them up. And at not, you don't want this, you don't want tension when you meditate. Um, so however you can meditate without tension, by the way, that's the meditation for you, right? If stillness is good, then go with that. If, if moving is needed, go with that. If you do, I feel like for me, if I do feel tension and I'm struggling in a seated posture to get fully relaxed, it's still worth it for me to practice trying to relax and trying to release that tension, even if I don't even ever get it in the five or 10, 20 minutes that I'm sitting there. That being said, I also still need to find postures regularly where I can for sure find the full relaxation as well. It's kind of like training, you know? Right. And it's sometimes the best time to practice is when you feel I can't do it now. Um, Absolutely. It'll turn you around so fast, even though you can't conceive of it until you do it, you won't even right. believe yourself that it's going to help. Right. And, then, and then 10 minutes later of sitting and breathing, you're like, Oh, I'm fine. Right. We have to, we have to trick ourselves to make ourselves fine often. Um, Take, take two minutes. People can take two minutes to practice this idea. Take, imagine the time period when, or a moment rather, when they obtained that thing that they've been wanting to attain, right? And, and 
the posture that we'll get in, like, it, this is a serious thing. It's not like, yeah, okay, I got the paycheck. No, like, you, you won, you conquered, you got the girl, you know, you, uh, and you're like, maybe with your best friend or by yourself, what do you do? You jump up and stand up. And that is the emotive posture of, I did it. And so you take that posture and that feeling and be there for two minutes and it releases a surge of good chemicals. And you can't uh, unimagine that, <laughs> right? That's and awesome. Actually, Tai Chi is all about tricking our body to produce good chemicals instead of bad ones. And that's why. Tai Chi can be helpful for healing and strengthening and, and uh, longevity because we're tricking the body to think that we need more good chemicals. And yeah, two minutes of that meditation is a day changer. And every time you change your day, you change your world more and more. And it sounds woo-woo because society has made us think that we got to do stuff with a gun. <laughs> we got to like get in there. Hey, if you want to do something for your interior, you got to get in there. <laughs> you got to be in your interior. So it, it, that, it, that Qigong practice, that emotive posture placement is such empowering practice and so simple. And again, we're utilizing the power of imagination and attention to produce good chemicals and, and, and that produces quality mind state. And again, you're right. People go, yeah, right. F you buddy. That's not going to work for me. You don't know what I'm going through, <laughs> but all you have to do is trick yourself. An uh, I was going to say uh, another great way to start a meditation practice and to feel the transition points uh, what I mean by the transition state um, between waking and sleeping is this kind of mesmerizing and a place of potential. And when you're going to sleep, lie flat on your back and bring your heels towards your buttocks, right? And, and then your knees are up in the air, right? If that makes sense. And you are in a place where you kind of have to balance your legs. If they tilt a little bit, it kind of keeps you awake. And so you can practice counting your breaths or practice whatever process you want to focus on, but you're in a deep, relaxed state. And you're not in a place of tension where, okay, I have to do this for X amount of time. You're, you're going to bed. You're literally just going to sleep, but you bring your knees up to that place where they sway just a little bit. Eventually you'll just fall asleep. Uh, but it, it allows you to experience that state of transition, which is really, uh, like I said, it's a place of mesmerizing potential, that dream state. Yeah. It's the, they call it the hypnagogic state and people have a lot of weird paranormal or spiritual type of experiences in that state for positive or negative. And 
one thing that I actually could point to as a really actionable, useful aspect of meditation and mindfulness is in trying to transition into sleep itself. Like I, I don't have this problem personally, but I guess when I was a lot younger, when I was a kid, there were especially when I was a kid, there were plenty of times where I couldn't go to sleep because I was too busy thinking about this uh, girl in my sixth grade class I had a crush on or whatever, almost always girls, but wouldn't be able to sleep, laying there, thoughts racing. And as a kid, I didn't really care that I couldn't sleep. It wasn't quite the same. But if I ever were to have that problem now as someone in my 20s, I could easily, and I think this is the reason why I don't have the problem, is I can easily just focus in on my breathing and let go of all the thoughts because I have a practice of doing it. And that completely changes your ability to, to rest. You can even, it's almost like whenever you're not asleep, you have, you're burning less of your mental energy in general because you're letting go of the stuff that's not helpful when it comes up. Yeah, that's beautiful. There, there's an expression uh, by one of my favorite authors, and, and surely he, he meant no relationship to Tai Chi or meditation. George Orwell said, every man by the age of 50 has the face he deserves. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, well, that's harsh. <laughs> but it's no, that makes of, sense. It's kind of true, and it makes a lot of sense, right? If you practice, we are what we practice. If, if one practices drinking alcohol every day, well, you have a certain face by 50, right? And, and so to take that, though, into a self-empowering uh, uh, potential, we can practice just relaxing. And all of a sudden, we are more relaxed, right? It's, it's not all of a sudden, rather, that we, we become what we practice, right? And so a person that's lived a relaxed life, and not everyone has uh, equal stressors, but how do we deal with them, right? And so it's, it's a matter of what we do really makes us who we are and how we respond rather than react. That's a, a great Tai Chi lesson, differentiating reaction from response. Because when we react, look at that word, we're reacting, we're acting again. I, I don't want to act again. Act out this drama again? Oh boy, here we go. Well, okay, wait, let's respond. And a response, sometimes it takes a pause before one continues, but a response also may be just seeing something that needs to be done. It may not be your fault and you just respond to it and take care of it, right? So differentiating reaction and responding is there's a whole meditation practice that we can embody in life in of itself, right? Not reacting, which is again, re being an actor. Again, being an actor. No, be real. Be authentic. I, I think a, a, a big part why people are disturbed by meditation, like in really, literally uh, uncomfortable by it beyond just a physical discomfort of being still for a little bit, is that meditation provides breakthroughs. And breakthroughs require breaks. And breaks are uncomfortable. But it's like, uh, you know, is there going to be life after this, said the caterpillar? A breakthrough gives us new wings, right? But it takes some breaking. It takes going through some ice and getting, getting through things. 
I, I know this from personal experience, of course. Whenever I first began my meditation practice, and then every once in a while this will still happen, but like it's more and more rare the, the longer I have a practice. But especially in the beginning, you sit down and everything's quiet and you start to try to breathe and focus inward. And here's what happens in your mind. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I'm going to die. I'm going to die, man. Oh, shit. And it just goes and goes. And you can, the breakthrough is when you realize you can address your thoughts with your thoughts. And when those thoughts come, you go, uh, you use a different thought to, like, I know that nothing is permanent and also I'm not my body. Usually the one that I would use to address the fear thought of I'm going to die is I'm not my body. And it, whatever thought you need to use to address the thought that is causing fear or negativity in some way, use whatever thought you need to. And that's, the, that's breaking through. That's what it means to use your thoughts to address your thoughts and to make the choice and to be the creator of your own life experience and also to be an artist in general. I'm, I'm honored to have inspired a young person to have meditated recently. And, and he, I, I said, well, when we had a, a meditation, a group meditation, he and I for a couple minutes, you know, and I did a standing meditation he, and he, he, he sat and he goes, well, what do you, I, I just think of nothing. I'm like, well, that's good. Or you can count your breaths. And he goes, well, that's stressful. I just think of nothing. And <laughs> I laughed because you know what a young person can do that is really hard for a person, even though maybe that's what all people kind of think meditation is. Just think of nothing. Most people just cannot do that. And that's why they will sit and they'll go, Oh, oh what? Oh, and because the mind starts racing. And so for a kid, Hey, yeah, just sit down and think of nothing. They can, they, boom, they're there. If they can just attempt it, they can totally do it because they have that mind. An adult, we need to be shown, hey, go this way because otherwise you're going to drift off into this sea of the, the monkey mind, right? Swinging from one vine of, of kind of negative thinking to another. If we have a little bit of a path, then with like with the Tibetan Buddhist idea of single pointedness, if there's just an idea that we're going to, then we can train the mind to not be distracted. Even if it's just counting the breaths, which to a young person that might be, Oh, that's, that's too much. But to someone that has a racing mind that's been on this planet for 20 years or more, then they go, Oh yeah, that, that'd be nice to just quiet my mind that way. Oh, yeah, that's another way to use your thoughts to address your thoughts. I, and that's one of the, probably the most common meditations I've ever done is just counting my breaths. Yeah. Now, I don't count them so often. I'm, pretty, I'm better just thinking about nothing. But even when I think I'm thinking about nothing, sometimes I'm not thinking about nothing. And so it helps to fill that space with a type of focus and single point in this for sure. But it also helps to have a variety and also allow yourself the freedom to have contemplative meditation experiences and focused meditation experiences because there really are two modalities and you should kind of oscillate and balance between those. And, and people will uh, get great benefit from varying their meditation practice. If they've been practicing one type of meditation for a while, and that, that's great. I'm not saying that's wrong, but if they switch it up, it's, 
a really uh, dendrite expanding process, right? We have these thought connecting, you know, biological connections in our brain. And when we do new things or things differently, we can expand our mind. It's a biological fact. Changing our meditation practice is is a, a, a good idea if we already have one. Um, and not to say that one is better than the other, but like I said just now, like the, he didn't need to know what to do. He just needed to just be still for a minute. And he got so much out of it. Um, whereas someone else, they, oh, I can't even do that. I can't, I can't sit still. Another technique that I uh, found early in the book, The Geometry of Energy on Meditation, aside from just counting the breath in a, like in one out two way is to using possibly using your heartbeat if it's quiet enough that you can hear it but count the inhale and then count a pause between the inhale and exhale and then exhale the same length as the inhale and then count the pause of between inhale and exhale and I may not have understood what you were intending correctly with this, but what I have been doing with it is to balance, make the pause part half the length of the inhale slash exhale so that the pauses together are the same length as the inhale and as the exhale are individually. And so there's sort of like a three-part balance. That's a great balanced breathing process is, is that is, is having the inhalation and exhalation times being the same and the pauses being the same. That's a, a great all-around balancing w- way to breathe. I think a lot of people, um, I, I, I mentioned the, the pauses uh, or, or refer to them um, as important because I think a lot of people don't spend time in them and or don't even know they exist. And so being, counting the breath, that's great. That's, a, that's cool. Being conscious of the breath is the real expanding thing, right? So each being in each of those four parts, the, the pauses being important and, and important uh, uh, to develop a consciousness of the breath, but also to slow the breath down which slows the heart rate down, which uh, uh, makes us able to sleep better and able to accomplish things more easily. So, so the, the accentuating the pauses leads, leads to, I, I think, a little bit more benefit. And just like you, um, like you said, counting the breath is one thing, but just being conscious as we breathe, that is really empowering. Well, and it's actually really synergistic to come across or to even be talking to you next, I guess, because the previous guest that I had on the show, we, Matt Presti is his name. We spoke a lot about Walter Russell, who you may be familiar with the work of a, yeah. a really brilliant cosmologist, scientist, philosopher, artist from 20th century. Highly recommend everyone go back and check out episode 4.4. One of the things that Walter Russell brings to the table philosophically is that it, the notion that everything in the universe emanates from stillness and that the, the stillness is the creator, I guess it is the source and that the polarities that we see in motion are all actually a form of rhythmic balanced interchange that seeks to negate and uh, sort of nullify itself and return to stillness. But that through creating imbalanced rhythms, uh, intentionally, we manifest levels of complexity that eventually 
um, negate themselves and come back to a point of rest and life and death are that type of a rhythm balance interchange left and right themselves and also inhale and exhale. And so to find the stillness within yourself to be connected with the creator or the source point, having paying attention to and trying to balance the inhale and the exhale with the pause and the pause being the stillness itself and the, the, the creator point, you could say, you are also symbolically balancing your left and right brain and in every other way that's symbolic of creating equilibrium. And so the more in equilibrium the left and right is as you are trying to focus inward, the more that the left and right negate each other and cease to be polarities and you're left with just the truth of stillness and um, infinite potential. I, I love that Walter Russell idea and it's, it's so Taoist, right? That the yin yang symbol is a mandala and it is like many mandalas, it's seen as a circle, but it is actually depictive of a sphere. Uh, and the, the, there's many, uh, rules uh, for lack of a better term or principles, uh, uh, rather of the yin yang, or actually in Chinese, they don't call it the yin yang. They call it the Taiji, right? So, uh, it's, it's the grand ultimate, uh, which is made up of the yin and yang. And in each of the yin and yang, there is the opposite dot, right, um, in the swirl. And they are counter-oppositional, mutually dependent forces that is the Tai Chi. They're not separate entities, right? They're mutually dependent, counter-oppositional. That's, that's harkens, you know, back right to the Russell, his idea about um, the flowing of the universe. and everything begins from the still point in, um, in Taoism as well. And then there's the counter oppositional parts, which expand into the multitude of things. And I like to think about meditation practice and Tai Chi as never perfect, but always progressing and getting better. Right. So, so we, we, it's like going towards a wall and going half the distance to the wall every time. You're always getting closer to perfection. And, and it's not necessarily attainable, but in that sense, you're always growing and getting better. Right. There, there's no point where you reach the end of the practice. <laughs> right. It's not, well, I got my degree. I'm done. No, you, you are always finding new plateaus. Yeah, the practice might change. Like you might have to get out of the boat because you've crossed the ocean, but now you need a different type of spiritual vehicle to cross the mountains. Yeah, right. Yeah, well said. And that might come in the form of you've been practicing sitting meditation and now you need to practice walking meditation or you've been practicing yoga, but now you need to practice Tai Chi. And only you can direct that path. That's the uniqueness of the individual is that they choose the path as long as they're in the direction towards inner self, then the path will make itself clear. But Ethan, this has been a great conversation, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This is awesome. I want you to give the audience anything that you can uh, link them up to online with your work, uh, make any recommendations. And also, um, of course, the floor is yours to close out with any thoughts that you have. 
Well, peace on earth begins with peace within. I like, I like to think on that. And uh, I'm easy to find online, Ethan Indigo Smith on Amazon and so forth. I did just finish my book, Meditation and Geometry for the Youth, which takes some of these ideas in a non-secular but spiritual tone to provide direction for uh, young people and youthful minds to, to learn about meditation also. And yeah, I'm on, I'm on social media, Ethan Indigo Smith and Amazon and so forth. And yeah, writing articles pretty, pretty frequently on all sorts of subjects. So that's awesome, man. It's great to see so prolific of a writer with such a good perspective. And I'd definitely like to get you back on here in hopefully not even that long. How about I just read another one of your books and then we'll have you back on because there's so many other things we can talk about besides just meditation. And I'm sure we'll circle back into a lot of these concepts <laughs> as the circles do circulate concepts and make a spiral the next time that we talk. You know, there's a lot more going on in the world that we could talk about, especially in the ex exoteric sense, like, you know, the types of mindsets that are polluting people currently and how those have been influenced by people who have the dark version of this higher will that we ourselves are talking about the positive version so there's so much we could talk about on that i'd be i'd be happy to get into that with you and i i appreciate the opportunity and and yeah that needs to be exposed and and then individuation and internalization of power can really occur when we know what's going on really yeah, because when we can see it in the outside world, even through these kind of like villainous characters, it helps us see, oh, how am I connected to what that person's doing? How am I actually choosing to participate in that exact thing? And that's why it even exists out there. Right. And yeah, that's the biggest secret. Yeah, we'll have to cover that in a future episode because I feel like we could definitely blow just as many minds on just about any topic. You've, you're a very knowledgeable dude, really eloquent. Been a super big pleasure to talk to you. Likewise, I, I appreciate you, your insights uh, immensely. Thank you, Chance. And there it is, friends. Fresh from the internets into your ear holes, Ethan Indigo Smith making his debut appearance here on Interverse with a mindful and masterful grasp on the infinite ways there are to train your monkey brain to think about nothing. As someone that probably annoys people in my personal life with how much I tend to evangelize about the transformative power of thought training practices and postures, I found this conversation to be probably the single greatest overview on meditation techniques and theories that I've ever been party to. Now, that's not saying it's the best take on meditation the world has ever had, because how would I know that? And I'm pretty sure it's up to us to keep expanding our understanding on these things and going further because it's an infinite ladder. But I would have to rank this talk up there with some of my favorite episodes of the show so far. This one really pairs nicely with the previous one I did with Matt Presti, kind of like metaphysical peanut butter and jelly. Presti brought the heavy-duty philosophy, and Ethan Indigo Smith balanced it all with mindfulness, insights, and some truly actionable mental concepts that I think could change someone's life if applied. Especially the notion that we can imagine our way into being able to sense our chi and our energy flows internally. That's something I can attest to myself with learning qigong. I was able to start feeling inwardly instead of outwardly. Tai Chi, yoga, and Qigong are not the only methods, though, for mastering your mind-body connection. And at the risk of going too woo for you, simultaneous to my exposure to Qigong, I actually started getting into various types of crystals and studying their metaphysical traits. 
this led me to messing around with big wands of selenite, which is probably my favorite crystal. And these different stones began producing different feelings for me when I would try to tap into them or carry them. So focusing on that and the types of exercises that Qigong was bringing to the table was actually how I started to unlock what now seems like some kind of past life skill set or enhanced mental and physical focus and awareness. That's barely scratching the surface because these notions lead to all sorts of magical places from energy healing practices like Reiki to psychic and telepathic powers. And in the plus extension to this episode, Ethan and I went a little deeper into some of the ways our mental and physical postures play into each other and ways that we can use that to our advantage to exercise more free will in our lives. Things really did take a turn for the wizardly in the second part of the conversation. And with content like this, I actually have a hard time editing the show down for free listeners because I think it's equal parts fascinating and empowering, but I've got to draw a line somewhere. And since this podcast is totally ad free and going to stay that way forever, doing extended episodes for those of you who sign up for voluntary donations is the best way to go. But if you appreciate the first hour, I'm positive you wouldn't regret subscribing for plus. To give you a taste of some of the powerfully transformative concepts we got into in the extension, I'll run down some of the highlights for you right now. We talked about the Gnostic concept of abraxis and the physical physics of how stillness creates motion or how nothingness creates everythingness. The secret of 70% and the paradox of relaxed effort. Think Legend of Zelda on Nintendo 64 when you were riding the horse. You don't want to spend all your carrots or they'll take a long time to recharge if you know what I'm talking about. And then we got into Ethan's history of shifting between life in New York and living far out in the country in his youth and how maintaining the perspective of the outsider in order to always cultivate awareness of awareness, which is another way of saying it's better to be a seeker than a believer. We talked about more ways to practice your ability to feel chi, which is your life force energy, if you don't know. We expanded the boundaries of the imagination and talked about how that correlates to an increase in consciousness and more and more on the idea of getting into the physical posture that supports your desired mental posture, like making yourself smile more to trick your body into releasing good chemicals or using mudras, which are hand gestures that impact your meridians and your organ structures just by changing the way your hands are uh, positioned. The hands are actually a microcosmic representation of the body, and we got into that, although there's plenty more we didn't get into on that subject, like how that um, correlates to concepts like palm reading. And we talked about the infinite distance between ourselves and perfection and the journey that never ends. So that was a pretty good thing to close on. If you want to hear about wizardly Buddhist monks doing Tai Chi long forms with their hands to literally reduce the ignorance of people around them, you got to direct your internet browsing brain cells to patreon.com forward slash interverse and you'll know what to do when you get there. I guess I can rest a little easy knowing that the Plus Tribe is going to grow and some of these episodes will probably get a little bit more of the love and attention that they deserve in the future because I really want to be able to get great voices like Ethan's into brand new ear holes. But hey, in the end, I'm just a guy sitting at my laptop trying to figure out how to stop being a shithead a little bit more every day. Anyway, that's it for now. It's getting pretty late and my cats are looking at me like I might have to be dinner if I don't get around to feeding them. So I wish you all the best of luck in whatever practices you're cultivating for yourself to be the brightest expression of your truth that you possibly can. 
I'll be back as soon as I can with more. In the meantime, don't forget you can help the podcast out massively by sharing it with others or subscribing with a voluntary donation on Patreon. If you're feeling really helpful, though, why not leave a review on iTunes? It'll direct other seekers towards the Interverse tribe. Every little bit you do, though, just to work on yourself is a shot of energy straight into the heart of this podcast and into the heart of every other creature on the planet that's connected to the source of all life and consciousness. So thanks for all you're doing and a massive blast of gratitude just for tuning in. That's really cool. So lastly, one more big round of thanks to Ethan Indigo Smith, who will most certainly be back as soon as I read another one of his books. Anyway, sending you lots of love through all the dimensions of time and space. I'll talk to you later. Peace. Peace.